Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. Today's topic in the Cloud Security Trending Month is threat detection and incident response in cloud. And I'm sure you're wondering why we're we talking about incident response in cloud. Well, my friend, let me tell you why. Incident response and threat detection, even though we have been doing cloud and talking about cloud security for such a long time, threat detection and incident response is something that a lot of people still don't get that right. And also because it's also such a misunderstood field where it's almost looked at as a destination rather than a journey. And I thought, why not bring someone who has been talking about this at multiple conferences, especially AWS reInvent, which is the largest AWS event. Why not bring him, which is Nathan Case, on the show to talk about incident response. We spoke about breadth or subject. We spoke about incident response in cloud and threat detection in cloud. How different is it to what it used to be on-premise? And we also spoke about why some people struggle with it. What are some of the benchmarks you can probably look at as a maturity scale if you wanted to kind of go down that path and get super excited and build a platform today? We also spoke about some of the basics as well, like what's the difference between running a playbook, a runbook, and how do you do tabletop exercises? How frequently you should do tabletop exercises and how comfortable you should feel with it? We spoke about instant response in different industries, not just tech industries, but what about biomedical hospitals and other industries that get supply chain attacks? We also spoke about the need for having a look at supply chain attack versus, say, just assuming that AWS or any other cloud service provider would take care of that for you. So again, another episode, I really enjoyed the conversation with Nathan. I hope you get really good value out of it as well. And hopefully use that as a way to make an instant response plan for your AWS cloud or Azure cloud or Google cloud or IBM cloud, whichever cloud you're on. And if you have any questions, obviously you can always reach out to Nathan or myself. We'll be more than happy to kind of give you more information or direction. And uh, as always, I wanted to give a quick shout out to everyone who's left us a review or a rating on iTunes. I really appreciate this. It really means a lot because it helps us grow. We recently crossed the 100K and it, it would not have been possible without your support. So thank you. And for those who may not have done one, I would really appreciate if you can leave us a review or rating on iTunes. It helps us get the word out. It helps the guests know that they're coming and providing value to an audience and they really appreciate that. And if you have any feedback on a particular guest as well, feel free to go and say thank you to them for sharing the value. And I'm sure they will be happy to connect with you and maybe even answer some of your questions as well. I just wanted to leave with that. And uh, I'm just going to go out and about because Melbourne as a city is now open. So I thought I'll why not just enjoy the sun, <laughs> which is summer, but I'll let you enjoy this episode for now and I'll talk to you next weekend. Stay safe. Bye. Time is the enemy of security and that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius helps organizations immediately know what assets they have and shows which devices, cloud instances and users adhere to or deviate from security policies. Learn more and try it for free at exonius.com. Hey, Cloud Security Podcast, Steve from Bridge Crew here. Check us out and start scanning your infrastructure's code against hundreds of security policies, both on the command line and in your IDE. Bridge Crew also adds security feedback to all your commits and helps you fix misconfigurations in both code and runtime. How do you get your cloud security news without scouring the internet for hours? I normally just head to Cloud Security News to get my weekly update on what's most popular in the cloud security world. If you are interested in this, Check out Cloud Security News on all popular podcast platforms or on www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv. So 
for this guest, I don't think I don't think he needs much of an intro, so I'm gonna go straight into it. Hey man, good man, good Nathan. I'm I'm so glad you're here. For people who may not know you, because I I would be surprised people who don't know you, especially from the AWS space. So considering you've given so many reinvent talks and stuff as well, for people who don't know Nathan, if you can tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into cybersecurity. Yeah, sure. So, hey, I'm Nate Case. I really got into cybersecurity a long time ago before there really was cybersecurity. It was just kind of computers. We started doing some some work on firewalls and some other other different hardware pen testing and whatnot and really had a good time. I mean, like if you really want to go all the way back when I was about 12, seriously owned a BBS, had a really good time doing like modems and stuff. So like it really have enjoyed IT through the entirety of IT. It's a lot of fun. As we get into like things that I've done at AWS, I started out and it was kind of one of those things where it was really, I don't know, I, I really wanted to help and I really wanted to contribute. And so I started kicking into some of the DOD work and some of the incident response work. One of the previous companies I had was really focused on security. So it made it pretty easy. And here we are six years later and I had a really good time, helped a lot of people, was able to do a lot of really good things and, and was, Really happy to contribute at AWS and, and help a lot of people through some, in many cases, uncomfortable issues. That's pretty awesome. And I think it's probably the perfect person to bring in for like an incident response conversation as well, because I get this asked quite often. And for people who may be quite experienced in this space, because this is not the first time we're doing threat detection, right? It's been a thing for years, but <laughs> yeah. somehow people feel it's like, like this magic box or something. So <laughs> yeah. I would love for you to kind of like share your thought on what do you think is the Maybe let's start with threat detection. Like, what, what does that mean for you? And how is that different from what people currently do in on-premise? Well, so that's a really interesting multi-pronged question that I'm going to kind of dance around a little bit. So I would tell you that I don't think, and having helped to run, having helped to work in data centers and whatnot, I don't think we did a particularly good job initially in data centers, honestly. So when we get to the cloud where it's a lot more fast and furious and things are happening at a different, we don't do a good job there either. So as we get into how do you do detections, how do you figure out what's going on? I would tell you that governance is key. As much as nobody likes to hear that stuff, sitting down and evaluating, well, how are we going to build this thing? What do you mean? How are mm -hmm. we going to build it? I mean, how are we going to put the switches together if we're building a data center? How are we going to put the app together if we're building an app? Where are we going to put the ability to detect a change to this? Are we talking about supply chain? Are we talking about the application itself? If somebody's doing something untoward. If we're talking about a data center who propped open a door, uh, you'd be surprised at how often like it's something stupid where I had a conversation with a guy, I don't know, about three years ago now. And dude, why are you propping the door open with you, with your coffee? It's hot in here. Yep. Okay, like the, the manager totally missed the security cue of it's hot in here. So the human response is to prop the door open and create a security event. And so how do you detect that? Well, like part of that is really setting up the governance policies around what does this thing need? The control room needs to be at a reasonable temperature so people don't open the door. Yeah, and it, it kind of, it, it falls out from there then. So if you're in the cloud and you want to do threat detection, cool. No big deal. The good news is you've got a bunch of events in the cloud. You've got way more indicators in the cloud than you ever have. You probably don't have to worry about the physical as much, though I would tend to argue the physical is very important with the cyber. And as you get into the things that are happening in your application or in your cloud environment, you need to have set up all of the things that you're going to key off of. If your application does something particularly interesting around files or S3 commits, probably you're not gonna be able to detect off of some of that stuff. So you need to figure out where are the edges around the things that we do need to commit off of. Let's say that for instance, we're putting S3 files, S3 objects in a bucket, cool. But we should never really have anybody read a whole bunch of S3 objects out of that bucket. Okay, cool. So like our first detection then is going to be, hey, when somebody does a bucket scan and tries to download all the objects, yeah, that's gonna be a detection and we're gonna automatically shut that crap down now. So it's figuring that out, but like you can't do that at the other end, right? Like that's the pisser. 
most people yep. try to get to the end of this project and go, hey, let's tack on the security. It doesn't work. So to your point, then, because of the APIs and automation, it's a lot more easier in cloud? Well, it's definitely, it gives you the opportunity to make it easier. Do you actually take them up on the opportunity? That's up to you. Did you actually do the homework to get ready for the security so you could do threat detection? You can't do incident response if you don't know what you're responding to. So you've got to have thought out, okay, if I get myself an incident response, like I've got to respond to an incident. And I know everybody thinks about like, let's talk about nation state and all of that. But seriously, let's just deal with the intern for right now. Your intern comes in and he or she decides that they're going to delete your VPC. That's helpful because they're saving you money. So as you look at all of this, well, what things did you put in place to actually respond to that? Yep. You have backup running or not? Okay, cool. So that's DR, put that over there. But like when we're responding to the incident, how do we know that he, she, intern logged in and did something? Yep. I don't know that we, if you haven't planned for it, your detection isn't going to allow you to respond. So as we look at like the S3 example, where we've got somebody looking at all the bucket items. Yep. If, if Sally, the intern goes ahead and clicks on a bucket and like lists all the objects, that should tell somebody in security or in operations that Sally clicked on something and it listed all the buttons. Yep. Is that okay yep. in production? Probably not. Oh, actually, maybe in that case, so where does one start? Because I get this question quite a bit where a lot of people want to start doing it. They all yeah. here come in, they listen to an episode of Cloud Security Podcast and go getting hyped up and going, yeah, that's good detection. I actually, have, And funny enough, I've never covered this in terms of where, how does one start building a program for this? Right. Because I don't think it's like just... To your point, an example that you would just go one or two examples, which people might hear in a reinvent, or they might hear it in someone else talk about, oh, I've got yeah. five scenarios. That's it. Yay, we're done. The foundational statement there is definitely security is, is a journey. It's not a destination. So there's no end to that scenario. That's It's a constant walk. Secondly, it, it's setting up a couple of different programs. So Resilience, the, the company that I work for right now, and we have an amazing leadership team. We have an amazing technical team. Just wonderful people. It really starts for me. It starts with uh, a lady that I worked with a couple of times ago at McKesson, Jamie Dickin, who deals with our governance. And she starts helping us write governance policies that allow us security operations to review the things that are happening, both in software and in our 3P vendors and a couple other places in the system so that I can go ahead and say, oh, all right. So these are the places then that I'm going to have the ability to inject security. So mm -hmm. as I start looking at threat detection, I know that if this is built to governance spec, I have these things that I can go ahead. And, and so as we begin to roll through that, it, maybe let's take passwords, for instance, right? That's always an easy one. Yeah. Hey, this person's changed their password three times in the last 12 hours. That's unique. Or, hey, this person changed their password out of turn, out of the, the normal 60 days that you know we do or whatever it, it turns out to be for whoever you are. Okay, that's unique. What pattern? do we begin to set up and if that governance hasn't happened like you're kind of shooting from the hip right yeah. like it's we can go through and we can run I'll just do all sorts of things and we'll have a good time and yeah okay it's threat detection but it's not a governed normative threat detection it's whatever you were able to tack on at the end so getting it to the point where your SOC team, in this case, my SOC team, is able to sit down, look at a screen and go, okay, so all of these things are set up similar. They all have these the similar governance. They all have the similar policies that they're following. They all have a similar normative application development cycle. Our pipelines are building out this way. We're not letting people into production. We're doing the things that we're supposed to do. Testing is running this way. It mm -hmm. allows everybody to be really calm about everything and say, look, I've got a detection here, here, and here. And because of that, I'm going to go ahead and draw a line and say, hey, we've got an incident we need to get. As yeah. opposed to hair on fire, crazy Monday morning. Obviously, mine's been on fire once too many times. It has. Well, it, I was going to say it, it doesn't look bad, man. But I think to your point, no one would want 
to be in a situation where they're kind of have to deal suddenly with, right? You realize it's to your point about it's a journey, yeah. new threats that keep coming in, new systems keep building in the company. You're going to have to keep thinking about what kind of, it's going to happen. It's like, to your point about this, the same kind of deployment, how many companies have people or not people, but teams that use the same deployment method as well. They have multiple deployment methods as well. Sometimes you almost are trying to figure out how do you, how do you address a lot of those things? And I think maybe just in that line, there's a question here from Vineet, which is uh, how do you normally plan when you are, when you start IR planning from scratch, for example, if the client has no plans? Well, I think that's where we start discussing with them what's actually going to be IR for them. So for us, I am responsible for both digital, which is cyber and physical security. So for us, because we do biomanufacturing, physical is really important. And we can say very easily, hey, physical impacts digital and digital impacts physical. So yeah, I'm just going to, yeah, we're just going to do that all together. Yeah. Uh, so for me, as we were looking at how do we want to do this, it was very much an understanding of, okay, so our business, and as we take the business apart in pieces, we need to start focusing on these different pieces in an appropriate way that allows us to begin to evaluate and deal with the things in appropriate triage order. And there's really no other way to deal with it. So if you think about it from like first aid or something like that, as you mm. look at how you're going to deal with some of these things and you and every business is different and it's just the way it is. For us, element A is really important because without this particular thing, we can't do other things in our business. So everything rides on this one thing and let's for giggles, let's say it's water. Okay, yeah. so we have to have our water. Okay, cool. But from your business, maybe it's it's some other thing over here. Maybe it's maybe like it's fire. Maybe it's fire. Okay, so yeah, we fire, I'll be water. So. And, and consequently, your business kind of, kind of stacks that way. And, and real quickly, you're able to start planning these things through. So when we look at like incident response, generally, when we look at like a data center or, or technical, you start getting into this weird scenario where it's a question of, okay, so which systems do you need? Well, you need to be able to communicate. So you need to have thought about things that you're going to communicate with post-incident. Like if you get hit, are you able to email? Probably not. Are you able to use Slack? Maybe. Should you have a secondary set of communications that you're able to use outside of that? Definitely. Going from there then, we also need to be able to go ahead and begin to recover systems or begin to recover abilities. So as you look at those abilities for your company, do you need an extra stack of hardware laying around somewhere where you can start putting things back together? Do you need extra switches? Do you need all of these questions start have to start coming back up and plan for worst case, but plan for reality. Like most people aren't going to be able to have an extra ESXi cluster laying around that they can throw throw together and magic. Yeah. It's just the way it is. But you can probably say we need an extra blade or we need the ability to drop two of our blades and, and have three of them still running so that we can reinstall two blades and then move stuff over. But as you begin to take care of that and plan out that incident and how that incident's going to go, it's going to start coming together and you're going to have to work with the business side of your team to understand what actually makes the business go. And then as that business begins to come together, you'll start seeing all the pieces that you need to respond to and take care of. It's kind of a round the way answer, Vinny. Is that good? Or did you want more specifics? I feel like that was a little, little round. I think it, it does make sense. And I'll let Vinny clarify if that answered his question. But I think you kind of hit on a good point there. A good starting point is always to know what's most important for your company or business. And it, yeah. If that goes down, doesn't matter. No advanced information security thing matters at that point. Yeah, there is yeah. no like AI or machine learning that's going to stop or uh, do anything for you at that point. Yeah. So from from that perspective, I feel like it's a good place to start to at least tell people, hey, what's the most important piece for your business? And sometimes to your point, it could just be an individual business unit. It doesn't have to be the entire company. It could just oh, be no, that. No, take it in small pieces if you can. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think to your point, would it be all right for me to say this? And instant response can be started in a business unit first, and then kind of expand mm -hmm. around because. 
if to your point, if fire is the main thing that, and I figured out the different instant response scenarios for that fire business, yeah. at least that way, at least we are able to kind of go, all right, at least the top five I've covered. Right. Like I think I obviously it will keep growing, but at least the top five, I think right. I could think of. Well, and I think you'll find that as you start taking care of this, and this is for businesses, whether the business is particularly interested in security or IR or not. Like in our case, we have a really good leader and, and Raul, our CEO is really okay with security and really focuses and wants us to be very secure. So that, that helps my job quite a bit. But as we look at this, maybe your leader doesn't want that. You're kind of doing this on the slide, right? <laughs> So what this ends up being is probably, and I've had to do that for people before where, okay, so water and fire are really into security, but air man, he's got nothing. To yeah. Do. He's so, got both of us on our, uh, by our back or something, but yeah. Yeah. But so like we prep our stuff and we get ready and then something happens to air or something happens to all three of us, we're back up and functional in a week and he's floundering around for a month. All of a sudden, the people that are responsible for these two are going to look really good. And at that point, then leadership goes, Hey, what did you guys do? You should be able to hand them the, the paper and say, look, this is what we did. This is why yep. we did it. Oh, yep. and so start handing it out and making it open. I think one of the things that we're trying to do, and I don't know if you're into the, any of the, like the, the HISAC or the manufacturing ISAC or any of that, but like mm -hmm. a friend of mine and I started up bio and that's for biomanufacturing. So this concept of playbooks and runbooks, there's a whole group of people that you should be working with that are your friends, whether they're your competitors or not, that will help you do this type of thing. And they should be able to show you and say, this is our runbook. This is what we do. And you should be able to have that conversation with people and say, look, we need to figure out how to do this together because if we don't figure out how to do it together, none of us are. That's a good point as well. Focus. A lot of people may not even know what a runbook is. Can you tell us a bit about, so what's a runbook and what, what, what's its role in the instant response? Because I mean, because people like you and I are assuming that everyone knows everything. So probably call that out as well. What's a runbook, mate? So the way I define it, and this is me, this is not the industry as, as a whole. I define a play as the thing you hand the executives or the things that you hand the business owners. And that playbook is, this is what's going to happen. And these playbooks should be tabletop once a quarter, twice a year, as many times as you can, so that everybody feels comfortable with how that playbook runs. Right. So if you and I are in a company, I literally sit down with you as my CEO once a quarter and I go, okay, so we're going to do this thing now. Right. And you say, yep. And I'm going to look at you and say, okay, sir. So our S3 bucket has been owned. What are you going to do? And then you would give me the, the appropriate response and we play it out. And it helps everybody feel comfortable about the things that are going to happen. And it yep. means that on that Monday morning, when your hair's on fire, because it's going to happen, whether that be your intern or somebody else, you can have that conversation and feel comfortable about it. And everybody just takes a deep breath and slows down because that's yep. really what it needs to be. Now, when you get into the run book, which is the kind of bit below that, now we're going to get into, hey, my S3 bucket was owned or, hey, my thing was owned and we've got to go deal with it. Okay. Now we've got specific technical things that we're going to have to go through and do. And maybe that's, Okay, so we need to make sure in my case, maybe as I, if I'm the technical guy and you're the business guy, maybe that's me going through and looking at all of these things. I need to tell, okay, I need to go look at the identity people and I need to make sure that everybody rolls their passwords. And then I need to go look at this thing over here and we start doing it blow by blow by blow. And I should, should have a piece of paper that I am writing on. And I say paper because you can't trust that the systems that you're using will be functional at that time. We reset everybody's password at, you know, 1202 and everybody's password was, and then we did this, and then we did this, and then we did, and 
part of incident response, honestly, the majority of incident response, the 90% of incident response, the portion of the iceberg that nobody gets to talk about is that what happened beforehand, mm -hmm. right? Like if you sat down and built those playbooks and those runbooks with your business owners and your technical owners and the product owners, and you all agreed on it, then dude, Monday morning is going to be a, just a breeze. You're going to go, eh, I, I, as your technical security lead, I'm going to hit a button and your, your carbon black's going to magically shut down your, your end point and Jim, the guy that got the virus or the malware, he's going to call in and go, Hey, my stuff's broken. What's going on? And you're going to give your laptop to so-and-so and they'll get you a new laptop. No big deal. I think it, to what you raised an interesting thing as well, because and this kind of ties in really well with what we were talking about earlier, where security is a journey, even that a tabletop exercise as well, as you kind of, you almost uh, always assume that, oh, I've got most of the scenarios covered, but then you come across this odd scenario and you're almost like, what the hell was that? Like how, what? How did this happen? And fortunately or unfortunately, as technologies are evolving, yeah. that kind of needs to evolve with it as well. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, you look at the solar winds and the exchange issues, right? Yeah. You're like, I'm sorry, but solar winds, come on. I never, like, you look at that and you go, wow, that's a security risk sort of, isn't it? Yeah, we got to think about that. But I, I challenge anybody to say that they were the person standing up and saying, that's a security risk. I'm going to go protect myself from that. Like that came up and everybody realized it. And man, it was a fire drill to get that thing patched. But yep. at the same time, all things considered, that's a pretty basic supply chain attack. So we've got a guy on our team that does third party, like, discussions and whatnot one of the things he asks is are you doing those 3p are you doing those static software reviews are you looking at your static code to evaluate do i have silly passwords in my code and you know, the guy that does it for us is freaking amazing like he runs the team like it's just it's clockwork man but that's really what it needs to be so that as you get to the point where you say okay what what are we doing for threat detection part of that threat detection happens in that 3p org man where we're looking at the actual supply chain for my company as a whole did yeah. I rely on like solar wind or whoever, man, did they do their work too? And if the answer is no, okay, well, that's awkward. Maybe we should get a new provider, but that's kind of one of those things where we got to figure that out together. And maybe we ought to just push our providers to do it. Yeah. And I think there's so much to unpack here. I feel like I just keep, just keep going, but I'm like, oh, just mindful of everyone's time here as well. But Sorry. this is really interesting, right? Because you've touched on something really interesting over there. We've been talking about, this is how you would start instant response. This is how you would start threat detection. You kind of spoke about runbook playbook as well. I'm pumped. I've heard Nate. I'm gonna do this. This is this is gonna be it. Now I I feel like people love to kind of have like a benchmark for hey what what does like a great state look like? I, am I this is like AI running my company or what's the uh, maturity level that you see people go to at say like threat detection or incident response? Assuming obviously we would never have all the scenarios covered. That's never gonna be the case. If, if it was the case, you and I don't won't have a job probably. That'd be nice. <laughs> but we're keeping that in mind. What does maturity look like in that like what's a maturity benchmark people can eat so we've been playing with this internally and we've been using nist as kind of a like this is bum in the wind type of a thing and there's some interesting maturity model stuff that we can aim at as well generally the way we handle it is let's be honest we're not doing it okay that's a, yeah okay, we're doing it by hand that's a one we're doing it we're doing it in code that's a two yeah we're doing it automated in code so now that the whole thing runs by itself that's a three and then we're doing all of these things and we're able to deploy it at scale that would generally be a four so like as we look at like vendor assessment for instance your maturity may never get past a one or a two like let's mm -hmm. be honest it's just my 3p review is mostly going to be why because i've got to go talk to you and i've got to ask you questions now maybe they're going to be cool and let you like red team their stuff but i'm going to go with no so generally it, it turns into a bit of a conversation now maybe as you get into like some of the governance eva evaluation are we actually looking at our governance 
We've got all of our policies, like we talked about way back when for threat detection. And is everything happening in an automated fashion? Do I have Python checking each of my policies in my... Okay, well, yeah, we do over here. Okay, that's a three, but it's a solid three because over here, we're not doing that. And the automated system that should be going through and evaluating all of my stuff at a swing just isn't happening. So like instead of once a day evaluating all of the compliance for all of my things, I'm checking project A or product and I'm not checking B, but C has some of that and D has that too. So it ends up being this kind of it's a mishmash. All right. So you're a three, maybe a two, and it ends up being 2.75 or whatever else. And so like, as we evaluate the stuff that happens inside of resilience, it ends up being, okay, you're this, you're that, you're this. And like trying to get closer and closer and closer to an actual number so we can drive people. Oh, right. Okay. I don't know if you can use NIST for IR. That's, that's a great idea. Like, so you can still have the detect, respond. Like, oh, yeah, you can still do that. Oh, that's pretty yeah. awesome. So if that's a great benchmark to start off with. And we're doing it, it, at least something to start with. So I think to your point, a lot of times you just need a starting point. And then to, your, to as you just said, it's just about making it simple enough for you to kind of go... Or maybe just the maturity level one, yeah. two, three, four. That's all I care about. Fully automated. I don't want to go into the details of yeah. how this happens, but it's maturity. It's going to be different, right? I mean, you're going to be different than me and your stuff. Like yep. in some cases, I'm evaluating the fill level of a 500 bioreactor. Okay. So how are we going to do that? Some of them are network connected. Some of them aren't. Some of them, you literally have to have a guy look in the thing and go, yep, that's full. You're going to get what you get. But it's, it's really great to think that you're going to get there today, but it's going to be a long walk, dude. And that goes all the way back to that governance piece, right? Amy helps with that. Vinny helps with the evaluation of three Ps and you start marching down the line. And by the end, by hopefully the end, when you get to incident response, you're looking at all these pieces and you're going, okay, it all lines up. So now I can talk to you about what it's going to be like on Monday morning when this bad thing and everybody yep. should feel comfortable. Ideally. Ideally. No one's panicking at that point, hopefully. And people start loving Mondays again. I don't know why people started hating Mondays, but people start loving Mondays after that again. No Monday blues after that. Actually, this is probably a good segue into a few of the questions that came in yeah. that were left on the post. I'm going to name a few folks as well. The question that they had, like, there's a mutual friend of ours, Matt Trentler. He asked a question mm -hmm. about how to shift threat detection further up chain, that is further into the development pipeline versus reactive and centralized in the TDIR security. So that goes back to that governance statement, right? Like, depending on how you've got it set up for us, because you now this is like one of the FDA things, right? So like when you get into making drugs that go in people's body, people get awfully persnickety about the security that you're using to, to evaluate those things. And that generally falls under quality. Quality is a great group of people that are going to make sure that your stuff is done correctly. And as we push this stuff up chain, what we're trying to do is take quality that is honestly a very, it is a very mundane thought is basically compliance from almost a hundred years ago, honestly, where things are done in such and such and such a way. And we're making sure that you follow the procedure. Yes. Have you followed? Yes. Then we've gotten this thing and yes, does it, and yes, it's good. And so before what you've got stacked and stacks of paper and that's great but what we want to do is push that up chain we want to push it to the point where the software has an evaluation when it's being written to make sure that it's complying with the things that were actually in the governance policies that said that we were going to we were going to look at this thing and we were going to do a specific test to it to make sure this other thing was happening and that test should function all the way from development, all the way to production. And I should be able to hand the quality people a piece of paper that says, yes, we're complying with all of the things that we need to comply with. And this is how you go run a test on. And so as we look at that, not only are we doing static code analysis, maybe we're doing it, maybe that's happening back here and we're looking at that code specifically, but we're also testing for our specific quality needs and our specific compliance needs. Oh, that's actually interesting because it can happen, especially in the cloud world where oh, yeah. everything's supposed to be coded anyways. You're kind of going that direction, might as well start there. Yeah. And so to your point then, because if we are able to kind of bring them uh, in more to the left, if I'm going to use the industry term, very shift left, 
I'm going to use that. And that kind of goes in really well into another question that was on that same thread by Alejo. Under the maturity level, I would love to hear your thoughts about implementing a threat detection, engineering CI/CD pipeline, as well as ways to group alerting and build data models to, my, to mitigate alert fatigue. I think that's a really interesting question. And I've actually got a friend that worked with me at Amazon that did some of that. And she was just freaking brilliant. So as you look at some of the interesting things you can do with threat detection and CI/CD pipelines, where we're actually looking at the things that occur in our environment, and then we have a pipeline potentially building out some of the things that we want to test when things happen. There's some really interesting, very technical things that you can start to do with a cloud because it's all, yep. so this thing happens, this thing happens, and this thing happens, great. I'm going to go ahead and deploy this thing and I'm going to evaluate all of these new APIs that maybe normally I don't evaluate. But then I'm then going to go ahead and go into this prevention or this, this lockdown scenario where I'm then running this code to evaluate and lock these things down. So as we look at that, that's like, we get way the hell out into four at that point where you're looking in your maturity model from one to four, you're looking at some seriously interesting automated systems that are able to go ahead and reply to, respond to both on-site and in my opinion, in the cloud systems where we've got VMware that has a bunch of APIs. We have your cloud provider that has a bunch of APIs and we're trying to evaluate what's actually happening in the system. Maybe we've seen some interesting network connectivity or we've seen some interesting things that happen in a specific chunk of the world. And we want to go ahead and evaluate that. And then we also want to evaluate a bunch of other stuff for maybe we're looking for some different, some different signatures of a type of an attack. Yeah. And as we look at that, then we can go ahead and easily deploy it and evaluate it all over the world. It doesn't really matter how close we are or how long it takes from a, for a person to go plug something in because it's not about... One of the questions that came in that I thought really was interesting. We don't talk about Bioman a lot in the, at least not in the podcasting no. space or at least in the content space. So I'm curious, the supply chain attack for these kind of things, quite a few supply chain attacks like became like a theme, right, for, for a whole year. And are there any specific scenarios in the whole life science sector that you kind of like can share? It's really interesting from a, I guess, for us to kind of sit and talk about technology, yeah. like Facebook and Airbnbs of the world, but there's also the other parts. So if you go back and a friend of mine and I did a DEF CON talk, and Charles has been doing the specifically the, the biomanufacturing security awareness for a long time, a lot longer than I have. Oh, the same Charles, uh, Fre Freshia. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy that actually made the comment, which is probably yeah. a comment. Oh, uh, <laughs> he totally wrote me in. Oh, that's an yeah. interesting one. And to be fair, it really is. I mean, he's got a yeah. really good point. A lot of the manufacturers just don't focus on security. So there's a specific lab piece of equipment, and I, I will graciously not give you which one, where I talked to the manufacturer and said, look, we, we need an API for this. We need to be able to evaluate the the ins and outs of your specific device. And the guy literally looked at me and said, well, I'm sorry, but APIs and security just aren't in our milieu. And I just kind of sat there and stared at him for a second. And I got to be honest, like I, I was waiting for Monty Python music to start going on. And like, I never thought I'd heard that, hear that word outside of Monty Python, but all right. So as we look at stuff like that, I mean, the industry as a whole just really hasn't been focused on that. And so like one of the things that resilience is focused on right now is taking that industry and both scaling it up and turning it into a more cloud-esque sort of a scenario where we have the ability to inject security into all portions of the biomanufacturing space. And so we're looking at how to, I mean, we go back to some of the things that we just talked about. So I'm more than happy to go consult with a lot of these vendors and say, look, this is what you need to do. And I'll, I'll happily help you with it. We actually found a really cool set of security tools that were both security and biomanufacturing. And we we literally went to them and said, look, we, we want to buy your stuff. We can't, like, you're not doing these things, but I really need you to. Well, we can't. I'll pay for it. I'll show you how to use it. Will 
you use it with us? And that's kind of so what Charles and I got together and we, we and like the leadership and we all got together, and we put together bio ISAC and that's why we did that. So we could go ahead to vendors and say, look, this is what we need you to do. This is a way for you to do this. We've got this open community that helps you figure out how to get your stuff more secure. So that as we look at biomanufacturing as a whole, we can make it a more secure industry as opposed to security and, and frankly, IT being a secondary thought for most of the industry, because to be fair, it's been run on paper for a hundred Yeah, and I think it reminds me of, uh, I, I was in a project once we were trying to, for la it's funny, well, the, the specifics was more around uh, we were trying to implement it to FA in a hospital and it yeah. is the hardest conversation to have with someone that you're going to have, Hey, we're going to implement two FA because clearly security is, cyber security is a must. And you almost go, I have a patient dying on this. You want me to put two FA trying to remember my password, which is complex. Thanks to you. But while I'm trying to save Ashish's life, yeah. would you, what would you rather don't worry about the password? Don't worry about any of this. Just like make sure I live. Yeah. Well, and, and, and a lot of those things, I mean, like, and that's one of the things that, because obviously we have labs too. And some of the things that we've had to set up, I've literally gone. So I've got some friends in the community that I've been able to reach out to national labs in the States, whatnot, deal with this. Cause this, I can't be the first person to have to deal with this type of a problem. Right. Cause I've got the same argument from people that are actually in the labs. You've got to make this stuff because it's custom and this is going to save this guy's life right over here. Don't you want that to happen? I'm the guy on the other end. I definitely want that to happen. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And that's the thing is how do we, so that's the pisser with security, right? Like two views of security. Everybody looks at security and thinks it's the thing that has to stop everything from happening. But really, it's not the thing that should stop everything from happening. It's the thing that should enable things to happen so that you don't have to think about security. So actual security in that situation is, yeah, the dude's got a wristwatch on and we've gone ahead and evaluated that it's Jim or Jane. And yep. what we know that it's Jim or Jane doing that specific thing. And all they had to do was wave their hand in front of, I don't know, some sort of a, a depot sort of a thing. And it gives them the, the shot that they need and you get the shot and everybody's happy. Yep. That's what we need to focus on, not how do we get 2FA. I mean, and I've, I've been right there with you. I did that for a hospital too. And it was painful as hell. But you get to the back of this and we actually looked at some of the stuff that we had internally and it, it came up in labs where I went out and talked to some of the national labs here and said, okay, how do you guys deal with it? And they were really honest about it and said, look, this is the framework we use. And so I went ahead and mapped that framework back to our labs. And basically we have bubbles of resources that are set up so that when they collapse, and let's be honest, they will, like they will get attacked, they will be popped and that's okay. And we can very quickly within, you know, milliseconds, shut the entire bubble and everything gets locked up. We clean it all up. We get new stuff, reset the bubble and everybody's good, but it doesn't give the ability for that bubble to connect to other bubbles in the system. So we always make sure that your impact radius, which is kind of a scary military term for what this really is, allows us to say, okay, that's the only thing that gets hurt. Everything else is okay. And so it's a little bit of extra work on my team's part, sir. But that's that's my job. That's what we should be doing is allowing other teams to do their job as opposed to trying to get away. So two cents on that one. No, that's pretty good. I think you've got a lot of agreeance here as well. So we did answer Vinny's question. That was good. It makes sense. Gate, a good starting point. We have, I think it's zero hair. I'm like, <laughs> oh, like that's a good name, by the way. It's good to hear the, those things and learn specifically when trying to uh, get in the cloud, love the podcast. Oh, thanks so much, man. Appreciate that. I'm sure Nate. Uh, that's brilliant. Go to the man uh, to Tom Pike, another regular. That's brilliant. Go to the manufacturer with the security solution so you can incorporate their product into your ecosystem. Bring them along on the journey. That is actually 100% money on the money. I wish you could do the same, same for television and all the other industries as well because they keep asking for, like my television keeps asking for activating. Okay. Going, I don't know if I want to like give you a voice. 
like I specifically went for a, a, a television which doesn't have a camera as well. Like, because I wonder to your point, because these industries have been running for over 100 years without any need for an IT or even probably most likely a CSO or a chief security officer, like, why do you care about that? We just sell televisions. Are you going to hack a television? Like you need to literally physically come. But yeah. at least that's what used to be the thing. Like until like say six, seven years ago. Now all televisions are connected. It's all of them do airplay or... Obviously that's what we're going to do. Yeah, yeah. Clearly because that's where everyone's going. It's the cloud, right? Like, let's move to the cloud. And there and... was that recent breach on IP cameras too. Like most of the camera systems we use now are IP. And that's... I don't know how many people have their IP cameras out on the, the public web with a unique IP address. Are you kidding? Oh, like... come on, Nate. It's so easy to access. I can show it off to my friends. Like you almost hear that. But I, I think I, I definitely have a proud moment when I, I had a team member of mine who definitely had the IP address on the internet, but had a username, password and 2FA. He had to write the custom code for it, but like I will write it. But I said, before, before I showed it to you, I wanted to make sure I had a username, password and uh, at least a 2FA in there. I'm like, that's brilliant. Because I think, and it's funny, because a lot of people just assume these are supposed to be used to make your life easy, yeah. right? No one's denying the fact that, yeah, I do. No one's saying you don't get an IPTV, don't get a tel to television with like a camera or whatever you want to use, you should. But the assumption that we are being given that, hey, they've taken care of security for you, that, that is yeah. incorrect. I mean, even as we go back to the cloud and whatnot, I think what was one of the, the scariest things that happened for me. Um, so right after I came from AWS to this job, one of our vendors said, well, we put it in S3 and S3 takes care of all the malware. No, in fact, they say they don't. So there's little things like that that go into a lot of the vendor relationships that I think are really important. And that's why Vinny's job is probably one of the more important jobs we have. We have to rely on Vinny to get that 3P assessment correct, because if he does and the vendor thinks that they put their stuff in S3 and it's taken care of, then now we're trusting that, that supply source for us because, well, the vendor said it's fine. And so how did you walk that in? And it gets even more complex when we go into libraries for, we're talking about supply chain and we're talking about software libraries or open source libraries or anything else. Yeah, it, right now, one of the things that I'm having my team do this year is to begin to pick out open source projects that they want to focus on. So I've talked a lot with Andrew Krug over the years. And one of the things that we're both really passionate about is that I think a company's responsibility, uh, specifically a company like Resilience with a name like Resilience, one of our responsibilities is to contribute back to the community and pick open source projects that we think are actually making us more resilient. And yeah. so carrying that strategy down the line and making sure that we're contributing to the world around us, I think is important. I think so as well. And I think especially if you're, if you have been able to figure out a way that why not share it? Like, I know you're talking about this offline as well, but it will be an amazing world if you can live in everyone's <laughs> like kumbaya every day but unfortunately yeah and i mean like that's what that is we're not going to fix that you and i together today but at some point in the future i can see 100 200 years down the line where maybe we actually start looking at it like we're all earthlings and we're all here to you know contribute and maybe yeah, not and keep making money there's not nothing wrong with making money no one's saying no. they can't you can still profit you can still provide value to people give them yeah. what they want solve their problems give a heart surgery without like the pacemaker being hacked like all that, all that. And that's the thing. Let's, let's stop competing on security. Let's start competing on actual things. Like what's your actual product? Let's compete on that and yep. let's do security together. Let's focus on getting security as one. And then from there moving forward. hundred percent. I think maybe this, uh, this is probably a good segue into one of the questions that I get asked quite often, right? What does incident response threat detection look at scale? Cause people are obviously they've been sold the idea that if you go to cloud, it's easy. Yep. We can see it's easy. But there's obviously a few steps you kind of have to figure out and do yourself because, hey, court shared responsibility. What, 
I've always find that a lot of people, because initially there was a thing that, oh, I only had one AWS account. I only had one or two because for some reason, people didn't want to go for multiple. Now we're at that stage where people have hundreds of AWS accounts and you almost like sometimes one business unit may have 20 for no good reason. They should just have one or two for one dev, one test, one prod, but hey, what? I'm going to take 20 because that's what my team wanted. So I feel like if we, we're in a very, uh, from a scale perspective, we also, also get quite complex quite quickly as well. But yeah. has there been an example that you can share where you felt that incident response or threat detection at scale was done well? Maybe, and I think this yeah. is more for people to think about, hey, what, is, what would this look like, like at scale? Obviously, this yeah. aren't AI or machine learning, but what can this look like? So I'll tell you what, I'll give you two examples, one of which totally failed and was bad, and one of which totally worked and was good. And precursor to that statement, however, is Sam Alamac, myself, and about five other people and about 20 other people that didn't get named, unfortunately, wrote a paper right before I left AWS and it got published. And it deals with specifically this, and how do you deal with multi-accounts in AWS? The original paragraph that we wrote for that paper specifically called out the fact that it didn't have to do with AWS alone, but rather dealt with the cloud in general and how cloud resources, that got cut. But I think it was a really good paper, and I think it speaks to this actual issue. It was a bit naive, and having been on the other side of it, now I know why it was naive. That's a different discussion for a different beer on a different day. However, to the actual question, an incident where it went really well was a customer that I had had for a long time, and we had discussed their specific efforts that they were going to go through as a FinServe, a financial services customer, and how that was going to look for them in the event of an... And it was really about segmentation because they didn't have a lot of technology in, in their opinion or in my opinion. They were just getting into the cloud and getting into technology and understanding how that needed to work for them. And so they set it up so that each of the accounts could be easily kind of chunked off and then shut down. And it was brutal. It was as crude and brutal as you could possibly make it. And it worked wonderfully. So in the case of the event, the, one of the developers on the team obviously left their AWS credentials in code. They put it up in GitHub and magic happened. And five minutes later, the entire account is popped and it was shut off in about 15 minutes. Was that great? I would tell you for a very non-technical crude scenario, I was pretty proud of the way that worked out, actually. That was yep. as good as it gets, right? Yep. There's another side of this scenario where we have a much larger company that decided that they weren't going to listen to AWS and they wanted to do it all on their own and they didn't want a TAM and they didn't want, okay, whatever. And they decided that they would do security and they had one account and they mm -hmm. had dev, test and prod all in one account. And, and obviously when that type of an account gets popped, bad things happen because now all of a sudden, all of your stuff is in one place. You don't know, is my prod impacted? I don't know. I've got customers in prod right now. So are they getting viruses from me? All of these questions begin to bubble up and it was really, really awkward. And could they do incident response at scale? Yeah. We could run all sorts of incident response and commands on that one AWS account really, really easily. And so could the attacker. Yep. And so as we look at something like that, I would generally push people to the left as opposed to the right on that one so that we look at, well, my left over here, I guess. So we would actually have some level of automation, even if it's crude and simple, to shut things down and begin to segment things out as opposed to have a single chunk of stuff that just everything's bunched into. It's very much like an old school data center where it's all layer two connected. Everybody's in a, in a switch that pretty much acts like a hub and it's all connected together and the password's the same for all the servers. And it, it, it's just 
it was a bad idea then and it's a bad idea now. It doesn't matter the fact that it was in a data center or the cloud. It's just a segmentation is key. Segmentation. That's a good segue into the last section that we have, which is a fun section. I had a lot more questions, but I'm going to, I'm just mindful of everyone's time here as well. Everyone's like sitting at odd hours, but I, I definitely feel I can have a lot more conversations about this with you for hours, man. So maybe, as you said, for another beer, when I bring you back, but I've got fun questions, the three fun questions, and they're not for people to get to know you. It's funny, one of the questions that was asked in that comment thread was one of one of was listed. It's something that I ask people. So I want to I'll start with the first one. So what do you spend most time on when you're not working on cloud or technology? So I actually really, really like to do woodworking. I actually made the desk that we're talking to me on now. Oh, wow. Um, so over COVID, I made two tables, an entryway table, my desk, a uh, number of bowls, a bunk bed for my daughter, and redid my oldest daughter's room. Wow. Yeah. You, well, I thought when you said woodwork, oh, I made this uh, chopping board. Where people start, I'm like, oh, just like chopping board. I've made like all these shapes of chopping board, but like you just meant like bunk bed and everything. <laughs> but that's good, man. That's good. I, I did not, would, I would not have picked that up. Next question, what is, uh, the, some, what is something that you're proud of but is not on your social media? What is something I'm proud of but not on my social media? Wow. So I've got a really great wife who is a school counselor, and I'm really proud of the job she does and the way she impacts her world and the fact that she helps a bunch of kiddos that really need help. I think that's one of the, if you look at things that I'm proud of in my life, I'm really proud of her and the way that she acts. The fact that she's kind of taken my kids to a point where they're more interested in social and trying to understand how to help between she and my kids. And I, I like to think that the fact that I want to focus on how to help people impacts them as well. And so the kids, the wife, things like that, that just, I'm, I'm really happy that they're growing up and wanting to help the world around them and not just. Brilliant. So wait, they, they haven't come up with that move yet. Right. They're definitely saved, man. They're already doing much better than they go. But I, I agree. I think helping others there's no bigger satisfaction than helping others and it, it could be for helping in any form it could be just spending time over here sharing yeah. what, and like letting people know hey there's all it's not the end of the world at that point all right <laughs> so last question what's your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you can share so there's rudy's the worst barbecue in texas it started in san antonio I, I i don't live in san antonio my grandfather at the time lived in san antonio and it was probably the cool place that i went to as a kid and really like drove a whole love of barbecue and cooking and whatnot in me like at 13. So yeah. Is that yeah, yeah. You can still go down and get Rudy's the worst barbecue in at least it was before COVID. I don't know that it is now, but yeah. But it, is it actually the worst? Is that why people are going? Oh, no. or? That's what they call it. That is that is the oh. name on the sign. Right, right. I'm like, why are people going to the barbecue in Texas? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Marketing's so, marketing. Sorry? Marketing's marketing, not me. Oh yeah, marketing definitely marketing. I think, uh, we, thanks so much for everyone who's who come on so far, but for people who want to maybe have follow-up questions and want to connect with you as well, where can they yeah. find you? LinkedIn, I've got a Twitter account that I barely ever log into. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say LinkedIn or Twitter, whichever, whichever works for you. Awesome. And I'll drop them in the shoulders as well so people, people can have a look and maybe connect with you as well. But I really enjoyed this conversation, Nate. So thanks so much for coming on. And I'm looking forward to having you again. Maybe finish out the, the second half of Instant Response and Threat Detection. All right. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you in the next weekend's episode. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. 
We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.